who dwelt among us, uh, our Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that uh, through the text today we'd see more of his glory. Uh, we pray that you would change us deeply um, through your spirit and by your word uh, for your glory. Amen. John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. Do you not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish? He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied, that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on they plotted to take his life. Therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he drew, withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Well, friends, um, if you go into just about any bookstore, you'll be hit with a wall of books claiming to give you the secret of living well. 
You know what I mean? Um, the, the, it's the self-help section. Uh, it seems to be growing over time. It's really popular, and it taps into this real desire that we have to try and figure out life, right? I'm trying to figure out how to live well. Uh, I went on to a major online bookstore this week to the self-help section, and uh, uh, it has over 700,000 books in it. Uh, the top sellers range from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People to 12 Rules for Life to Five Love Languages. Um, there's lots of helpful wisdom in some of these, lots of unhelpful folly as well. Um, but if there's lots of people talking about how to live well, uh, there aren't nearly as many, there aren't nearly as many uh, talking about how to die well. How to die well. Although I did hear recently of a company who'll take your ashes and turn them into a firework so that you can really go out with a bang. Um, <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Um, on this website, there is a subcategory uh, in the self-help section on uh, death and grieving. But even there, most of those books, as I sort of scroll through them, most of those books seem to be aimed at um, helping people who are affected by death, um, caring or grieving for the dying. And, well, one recent study showed that 75% of Australians haven't talked about their death with their loved ones. Uh, and the same study showed that 60% of us think we don't talk about death enough. <laughs> so we, we think we should be talking about it more, um, but most of us haven't and don't want to. That's one of those topics we get squeamish about, right? We, um, uh, we, we, it's, we don't quite know how to talk about it, which is a little odd because it's the, the one statistics that, that overshadows all the other statistics is, of course, that after all these years, the death rate itself remains at a steady 100%. <laughs> and it's just helpful to recognise that, right? Just to, to recognise that. Unless Jesus returns first, there will come a time when my body will stop. When I'll take my last breath, my blood will stop pumping, and so will yours. Well, if as a society we don't quite know how to handle that, how to talk about it, how to think about it, how to prepare for it, um, it's the total opposite with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus isn't, though, just another voice telling you how to live well, right? He isn't. He isn't just holding out to you your best life here and now. He's not telling you how to live well right up until you kick the bucket. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't talk about life until death. Jesus holds out the stunning promise of life through death. A life that even the darkness of death will not be powerful enough to extinguish. We're going to reflect on this dramatic story from John 11. It's a, as Marty helpfully pointed out for us, it's a true story, a, a, a record of an actual event that happened, recorded for us by eyewitnesses. It's one of the last of John's seven signs. Um, uh, as we've read through, we've seen how important these are. The first half of John's Gospel, John puts on, in all of these seven signs. Um, he likes the number seven. Uh, and the, these signs are these public actions of Jesus that tell us, 
that fill us in with, with who he is, what he's on about. Um, from, the, from the turning of uh, water into wine back in chapter 2 right through to Lazarus here. And the important thing about these signs, is, and hopefully we've picked this up as we've looked through, if you go to the next slide, the important thing about these signs is that they point away from themselves. <laughs> um, it can be tricky because the, they're all really impressive in and of themselves, but they're, they're not here for us to be captivated by them, by these things that Jesus did. Um, to focus on them, they're there to point us to a reality. They're there to point us to Jesus, to be captivated by him, by who he is and what he has come to do. So this last sign in John 11, uh, the story opens with this anxious news coming to Jesus. Um, there's a man named Lazarus, he's sick, and we're meant to pick up, he's seriously sick, that's why his sisters send these messengers to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is probably a few day journey away. Um, so they send these messengers to him, and they, uh, um, uh, Lazarus's sisters know Jesus well, they've seen him perform incredible miracles, and they want him, of course, they want him to do the same for their brother. Um, you can, in, it, you, it's, this is lovely, isn't it? You can see the close relationship Jesus has with this family. He loves them in verse 5. They are his close friends. He, he loves all of them. But he, if you flick back to verse 4, though, he gives this strange reaction. Really a bit of a strange reaction to this news. Um, he seems pretty nonplussed about it, actually. Um, he says to them, the, the, the sick, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And you can imagine the messengers, right, who've been sent to Jesus thinking, well, okay, if you say so. <laughs> uh, we were hoping you'd come with us and do your thing, but all right, we'll go and let Mary and Martha know you're not coming. Uh, it gets even stranger, though, um, in verse 5, as we saw, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. But then as you read on to verse 6, uh, John records this. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He loved them, so he stayed. Whatever Jesus is doing here is motivated by his love for them. Now, if you think about it, you know how the story pans out, right? Jesus knows how it's going to pan out. Um, we also know that Jesus could have healed Lazarus there and then. In other stories, in other Gospels, you hear Jesus healing people from a distance with just a word. That's no problem for the one who made all things. Um, he could have healed him, but he doesn't. He knows that Lazarus is going to die and he lets it happen and he does that in some way because of his love. How could that be? It doesn't quite make sense, does it? it? Well, it only makes sense if what he is showing them in this sign is worth it all, is worth all the pain that they're, of what they're about to go through, is worth more even than life itself. Hold on to that thought. But Jesus keeps going on with this puzzling reaction in verse 14. He, uh, he, he knows Lazarus has died, 
So he calls his disciples and tells them that they're heading back to Judea. So he's waited a couple of days and he says, right, let's go. Um, Judea is where the, near, uh, where the capital city Jerusalem is. That's where Jesus just has been. Uh, and the disciples think it's a bad idea because if you were here when we looked at chapter 10, um, last time he was there, Jesus just about got executed by stoning. Um, but Jesus tells them not to worry. Uh, in verse 9, he talks about this idea of light and darkness. And we've already seen though that Jesus is the light of the world. I think what he's getting at here is he says he's the light of the world and if, if they're with him, they won't stumble. They don't need to worry. Just trust him. Come with him. They still don't get it though. Um, uh, there's a bit of a back and forth there. Then down in verse 14, Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And you can see them all get a bit of a shock, right? Um, hang on a second, Jesus. Didn't you just say a couple of days ago that he wouldn't die? Well, not quite. Jesus said that this sickness would not end in death. It's a different thing. It's not going to end in death. But here's this weird thing again. Keep reading verse 15. Jesus says, And for your sake, I'm glad I'm, I was not there. What, this is very strange, is it not? Um, he loved them, so he waited. And now he, he says he's glad he wasn't there for their sake. What's going on? Well, if you keep reading, Jesus gives it away. What, what is it that is worth more, that is better even than life itself? Jesus says, for your sake, I was, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Friends, belief in Jesus, trusting in him, Belief in Jesus is what this whole episode aims at. We're going to see that as we go through again and again. It's actually what the whole of John's Gospel drives at. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the disciples, all of them will get to the end of this, having gone through it all, and they will look back and say, yes, thank you. It was better for me to go through this so that I would believe in you more fully, more deeply, so that I would put my trust in you. But that's jumping the gun a little. We'll come back to that at the end. Um, anyway, they, they do all go. Uh, Jesus is a, couple, a few days away um, from this village in Beth, uh, Bethany where Lazarus was. And by the time he gets there, he, Lazarus has been in the tomb for, for four days. Um, and then you read on verse 20, Martha comes out to meet him. And she says this really understandable thing, right? Here's this one who's finally there who she's seen do these incredible things and she says to the one who opened the blind eyes and healed lame people, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Uh, but even in her sorrow, right, she, if you keep her on reading, she expresses a real trust in Jesus. Verse 22, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. See, Martha still trusts Jesus. Um, we're going to read on though and we'll find out that she, she, uh, she doesn't have in mind there that Jesus could actually give Lazarus back to her. Not after four days, not when he's decomposed 
and his body has been lying there. Jesus can do a lot, but that's just not in her framework. You know? like she just doesn't have that in mind. And we find that out by the way she responds later on. But um, Jesus says to her in verse 23, you're, just really simply, your brother will rise again. Now Martha has the right theology. You notice she says in verse 24 that she knows that God, well she knows that God had promised a time of judgment when his people would rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She knows that. What Jesus is leading her towards, what Jesus wants her to see is that that last day that she was looking forward to has actually broken into the present in Jesus. Um, This resurrection hope that she had is not so much a future event, it's a person, the person, the eternal Son who has life in himself and through whom all things were made. So Jesus says his great words that you'll often hear at a funeral, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She looks back at him and says, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And you get the sense at this point, maybe, she's, maybe there's something going on in her. Maybe she's starting to hope. But again, given what she says later on, she doesn't quite get it yet. But what she does do is go grab her sister Mary uh, and Mary comes to Jesus and says the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And you get this scene, uh, these people come with Mary and Jesus looks out at this scene of of all these people grieving, (laughs) weeping over Lazarus' death and in verse 34, he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. They're really strong words and we're meant to get this sense of a real gut-wrenching, intense feeling. Uh, He asks to go to the tomb. And when he sees it, there's this tiny verse that contains so much. He weeps. He he bursts. The the image is not of uh, the, the calm face with a single tear. The image is of bursting into tears. Um, he, Jesus weeps. He weeps just like I wept when I got that phone call to say that my cousin had died. He weeps just like you have wept. Or if you haven't yet, just like you will weep. It's puzzled a lot of people why... Um, uh, for quite a long time, why it is that Jesus weeps when he knows what he's going to do. Uh, he knows what he's going to do. Why does he weep? There's lots of thought that's gone into that over a long time. But um, Some people have thought that he's upset at the unbelief of the people around him. Uh, I'm not sure that there seems to be any other indication in the story that that's the case, though. Um, his attitude to the people around him here seems to more be to he's, he's patiently leading them towards belief, not sort of being indignant at their unbelief. Um, uh, why does he weep, though? Uh, he is 
He is the Word made flesh. We've already seen that in John's Gospel. Fully God and fully human. And it may simply be that when he's faced with the death of his close friends, who he spent time with, who he had meals with, who he loved, it may simply be that he weeps as any other person would. There may be a deeper thing going on as well, though. I've found this quote really helpful. It comes from C.S. Lewis. Sorry I didn't get up on the screen, but I'll try and read it out slowly so you can take it in. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, the author, wrote this about this story. He said, We follow the one who stood and wept at the grave of Lazarus, not surely because he was grieved that Mary and Martha wept and sorrowed for their lack of faith. And this, is, this was Lewis's take on this. This is why he wept. Not because of that, but because death, the punishment of sin, is even more horrible in his eyes than in ours. Because death, the punishment of sin, is even more horrible in his eyes than in ours. See, friends, in the big picture of the Bible, death is not the way things are supposed to be. Death is the punishment for sin, for our rejection of God. And when you, God is the source of all life, and when you push away God... Um, when you say, I'm the boss and not you, when you cut yourself off from life, from life itself, all you've got left is death. Um, it's not... You know, you, know the, you often hear the saying, oh, look, death's just natural. And I can understand that, that like there's, there's um, uh, something behind that. But theologically speaking, even though death is very normal... <laughs> 100% normal. It's not natural. It's, it's not just another part of life. We sh- and there's a sense in which we shouldn't get used to it. Jesus weeps over it. It's an intruder into God's good world and his p- good plans for his world. Jesus weeps because death, the punishment of sin, is even more horrible in his eyes than in ours. And he's angry at it. There's a sense of that in what, what's, what's put down there. Um, we've already heard, haven't we? Uh, if you've been here with us, as we've looked through John's Gospel, we've heard this repeated claim of Jesus that he's one with his Father, that he, he reveals the Father. Um, he's one with him. And here, friends, is something stunning, isn't it? Uh, Jesus, Jesus claims that to, to see him is to see God. God made flesh. And there's so much depth here. Jesus reveals the God who weeps over sin and death and what it has done to his good world. He weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn, just like he asks his people to. But he doesn't leave it there. And this is so key, friends. The the God of Jesus isn't someone who just enters into the pain of this world as if the best thing he could offer you is his sympathy. 
That's not the God of Jesus. The God of Jesus is the one who has come not just to enter into the pain of this world, but to abolish it, to bring it to an end, to smash it, to defeat it, and to make all things new. And so that's what you see when Jesus finally meets the dead man. Um, Martha doesn't want to open the tomb up, and you can kind of sense her embarrassment, right, in front of all these people. Come on, Jesus, you can't be serious. Uh, Four days, um, he's going to smell... Like that, and I've got all, there, there are all these people here. But when Jesus gently pushes back, she trusts him again. She, she trusts him and she does get the stone rolled away. And Jesus cries out in this loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Just to wake you up. Lazarus, come out! And don't you love this after Jesus has said this? Lazarus, come out. And in the very next verse, the dead man came out. He's not dead at this point, but, uh, but to everyone watching, that's, his, that's who he is. He's the dead man. And the dead man comes out at the word of Jesus. And there he is. And they unwrap him, the best present ever, even if the wrapping paper might be a bit on the nose, right? Uh, um. But I skipped over this, and sorry to make you scroll back a bit, but I skipped over this in Jesus' prayer just before. Did you see how Jesus prays just before he does this? And this, it's the same thing that we started at at the start. Um, he prays out loud, but not for his own sake. He prays for the sake of people hearing him in verse 42, so that they might believe. So that they might believe. That's why he prays in front of them, so that they might see his connection with his Father. And that's just what you see. We'll scroll down to verse, uh, around verse 46. That's just what you see. Many of those looking on do believe. They follow the sign, right? And many of those do believe. They get what the sign is about. They see Jesus. And they say, I'm following that guy, Right? If you meet, listen, if you meet someone who can call out a four-day dead man, then that's what you say, right? I'm following that guy. They, they believe him and they trust him. They, they line their lives up with him and his priorities. Uh, but there is this kind of incredible, almost unbelievable thing that happens as you read on. There are some, as we heard earlier, that, did, that didn't say that. Verse 46 and they went off and told the Pharisees. And you can just imagine the conversation, right? I, I just want to report an unauthorised resurrection to you. And, uh, you know, like... Um, the religious... As you read on, you find that the religious leaders are more concerned that Jesus... That they're worried that what, all this fuss that Jesus is making is going to grab the attention of the Roman leaders and they're going to come down hard and sort of... Put the you know put, uh, uh, um, uh, take away whatever limited freedoms that they might have. That's what the leaders. Are, so uh, they're really worried. And then you get this strange um, section from verse forty-nine with the high priest Caiaphas, who basically he uh, I think what he's saying here is um, he, he he says to them, no no no, it's actually better for the Romans to come down hard on Jesus. Um, 
it'll be better for him to die. It's better for one person to die in the place of the rest of us. So he, he says, no, no, no we, don't wanna, uh, we actually want the Romans to come and deal with this because he'd, he'd given this prophecy. It's a strange sort of, uh, to picture yourself into that, but he'd, uh, he'd given a prophecy that that's exactly what would happen. This uh, um, Caiaphas here is thinking, hand Jesus over to the Romans. And because of this prophecy that came to him, this word that um, he knows uh, good will come out of this, it'll bring together God's people, he'll die and we'll be better off. I, basically, I think, is Caiaphas's um, argument here. So let's hand him over. And that's what, that's what they start to do. They start plotting to kill Jesus. And from this point on in John's Gospel, everything heats up. The whole rest of the gospel just drives relentlessly to, towards that point, Jesus' own death. Uh, but the, the, there is such an irony in, in this last little bit, right? The irony of it is that Caiaphas is totally right, just not in the way he's thinking. Um, Jesus would die for the good of God's people. And he would die for the, for the Jewish people and the scattered people of God. He would, he would die for people from every nation, not, uh, not as a rogue revolutionary, but as the Son of God, the Messiah, who would not only bear the sins of the world, but rise to new life. Not at all what the leaders would have been thinking. And friends, that's ultimately what this sign points us towards. Uh, the point of John 11... Um, isn't just to say that Jesus can raise dead people, right? Uh, or heal sick people. That would be to focus on the sign and not see where it's pointing to. Um, Lazarus, incredible what happened to him, but he died again, right? He had an awesome story to tell. Um, but he, he died again. He's not the hero of this story. The hero is Jesus and the reality the sign points to is his own death and resurrection. Um, the reality that this points to is not that Jesus could do some amazing things. The reality that this points to is that in his own death and resurrection, Jesus has once and for all defeated death overcomes sickness and sin and suffering, the one who is the resurrection and the life gave up his life and rose again to a new and unbreakable life. He did it for you so that you would have faith in him, so that you would share in his life. We've used this image before, but it's like a needle going through a shroud, a, a, a a bit of material, if you imagine, if Jesus is the needle and he, he pierces through the shroud of death and, and if you're connected to him by faith, you're like the thread that gets, gets dragged through it as well. He pierces through death to a, to a new and unbreakable life and he'll drag you through too. And friends, Jesus' question to Martha is the question that this account asks of all of us actually. Um, if you go back to verse 25 and 26, after Jesus says this to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, he, he, he kind of eyeballs her and says, do you 
believe this? It's a question this, this part of the Bible has for each of us. Do you believe this? Now Martha, she, she sort of did believe it here, right? But boy, she would have believed it deep down in her bones right afterwards, after going through this. She would have, she really would have believed this. Uh, that's the whole point of this remarkable story. Uh, that's the point of all of John's gospel, to lead people to trust Jesus, to bind themselves to him by faith. That's why it was more loving for Jesus to let Lazarus die than to heal him. It's a shocking thing to say, right? But that's what it says. He loved them, so he waited. Because believing in Jesus, the one who is life and who can give eternal life, is better than anything else and worth any cost. So friends, I just wanted to sort of draw things together by revisiting that question at the start. Not how will you live well this time, but how will you die well? How will you die well? Um, there are obviously things to organise and that would be wise to do, uh, to plan that out. I will happily do that with you. Um, but there's a much greater gift that you can give in your death. And I just want, I know it's sort of uncomfortable, um, but it's what this story opens up to us. And if the stats are right, most of us want to talk about it. Um, and this is for all of us, actually. Um, maybe for you, you're younger, you're, or, or, or maybe you're just not that old. But watch out, 30% of us die unexpectedly. Um, who's to say how many more heartbeats are left in these veins? I don't know. Neither do you. Wherever you are, friends, this is something that we can consider today. You, perhaps you have many regrets. Uh, it may be that for you, you think you have little left to offer in this life. I want to urge you that for all of us, wherever we're at, there is one gift that you can give to the people around you in this life. Perhaps the most powerful thing you'll ever do for your family and friends is to show them how to die well. To die knowing, trusting, loving this Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. To die safe, confident, ready at last to really live. And while those of us who are left will grieve, we won't grieve like those who don't have any hope. We grieve in the hope, the certain hope of the resurrection from the dead. We grieve as those who know that we'll be there too soon, just a few short years, or however long God gives us. 
will be there too soon and we too who are trusting in Jesus will hear his powerful voice calling us into new and everlasting peace and joy and real life. Uh, I just want to finish very briefly with a story about a young man called Zach. He was a surfer um, and he was tragically killed at sea. Kids are coming in, I won't go into details. (laughs) Um, He was a 19-year-old who had a strong and clear faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, As his mates were dragging him in, this is what he prayed. Please, God, my Lord and Saviour, help protect my friends and help me through this time of need. This is um, on the east coast, Port Macquarie. Uh, Then he went unconscious. Well, God did protect his friends and he did help Zach through his time of need just in the fullest way possible. Uh, He took him home and gave him the life all of us long for. Uh, Talking about it afterwards, Zach's pastor said this. This is what I want want to finish with. Um, uh, After Zach's funeral, which had hundreds and hundreds of people and where his family insisted on giving away hundreds and hundreds of Bibles to everyone who was there because that was what they knew Zach would have wanted. His, Zach's pastor um, said this. Last night, this is reflecting on the funeral, last night I was just thanking God that in such an emotional event we didn't have to make anything up yesterday. He is our hope. We follow a resurrected, alive ruling, reigning king, and there is a hope. We're not making it up. We're not just trying to use cliches to help people get through the day. Our hope is real. In the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I was very thankful last night to rest well because of that hope. That is the hope of John 11. That is the hope that Jesus holds out to all of us if we will trust him. Let's pray together. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Lord Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. Please, please work within each of our hearts a deep and abiding and confident and certain hope in the mighty power of in your mighty power we thank you heavenly father for raising your son our lord jesus from the dead we thank you that by being united to him through faith we too will share in that help us our heavenly father to live in a way that testifies to that reality And even, Lord, to die in a way that testifies to that 
reality. And we pray, pray that for your glories so that this wonderful news will continue to be spread. In Jesus' name, amen.